0: Hey everybody, we're going to pick up our conversation we started last week. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go back and listen to that episode and then you can listen to this episode. This is part two of a two-part series. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to The Friday Habit with Mark Labriola and Benjamin Manley. The Friday Habit is for small business owners, freelancers, and creatives who are ready to take their business to the next level. Join us as we discover how to apply the strategies we learn to grow our businesses, make more money, and live every day like it's Friday. So if you can't tell, Ben is actually in a camper right now somewhere on the Colorado Utah border. Mm-hmm. And uh his his company is running uh without him and uh is Well well is, done there. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Ben, so I'd be curious to hear you know how cuz I feel like you you're pretty good at at some of this stuff. You know, how do you resonate with that as far as you know having a team and then again, you have to empower those people in order then to take two months off and hope the company doesn't crash and burn without you?
1: Yeah, um, well, I definitely think that a couple things. One one thing that really resonated with me is that having, uh, David, what you said about having um, ambiguity creates a lot of stress and frustration. I've done that before. I've kind of left jobs open-ended and said, hey, here's your general goal for this job. Do it however you want. And sometimes having it that open-ended for somebody, especially somebody that's very responsible, that can be very overwhelming because mm. if I say, Hey, it's your responsibility to create a great client experience. Like, where's my boundaries? I could go anywhere. Right. I could do anything. So my job is never done, you know? And so I think what you're saying about creating roles and responsibilities and clarity around that can decrease stress a lot. And for me, I definitely think having people involved in decision making partially decreases some stress as a leader because other people are kind of helping create those, you know, those decisions. Uh, but also people will follow them more seriously and i find myself being the one as the the ceo i i need to be better at following the rules you know <laughs> like i was like oh cool good system guys and then it's like ben did you fill out that thing in the crm after that meeting i was like right no. or ben like, we you guys all, are we don't send late night emails yeah exactly. exactly like you guys are better at this than me i suck you know so in a way that's awesome to be in that position or it's kind of like having you know Kids that call you out like, Dad, I thought you were going to work out every morning. I was like, Yeah, yeah you're right. Okay, I was. Anyway, so yeah, I do think that that empowering your team makes a huge difference. And uh, as far as you know, being away from work, I mean, I've been fortunate enough that knapsack has been running about seven months on on its own for the most part with da- with weekly check ins and the team has been doing awesome. I have somebody awesome in charge that makes a big difference. But also wait, have you team. been living in a trailer for seven months? No, uh, no. Okay. I took like okay. a six a six month sabbatical, and then now I'm on the road for two months, so, and then I'm going to okay. go back to work. After I that, was going to so.
2: go, man, is everything okay? <laughs> like you're living in a trailer.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's the opposite. Things are so
0: good that he can afford to live in a trailer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so I mean, I think I mean all that kind of resonates with me, and I, and also I feel that um it'll um. Uh, it'll get ahead of any like embitterment too, as a leader, you know, cause mm-hmm. I think sometimes as a leader, I'll have expectations in my mind about how things should go or be, but then I never express them or say them out loud. And so then I just stack on those, those, uh, you know, feelings of like, Oh, they didn't respond to that email like right when I thought they should have responded or, you know, they did X, Y, and Z this way. And, and, but I'm just keeping that to myself and then it comes to a head where then I get frustrated with somebody and, and, uh, you know, blow up at them or something. And so this really feels like, you know, that common understanding, getting everybody on the same page to start is like just so crucial and critical for having a real healthy uh, team. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if I may, I'll just sing
2: Ben's praises a bit more, not about the trailer. Um, but in transition, uh, and <laughs> the fact that his team feels comfortable calling him out for not following those rules shows that he is a leader is building that sense of psychological safety too. Right. Which is the other problem with, like you said, if you just keep it to yourself and then one day you blow up on it, you're undergirding that second element, which is that sense of psychological safety. The, the idea that I feel safe enough to take an interpersonal risk in front of this team and speaking up because you disagree with the boss or calling out the boss because they're in the wrong that's a huge indicator on whether or not your team has psych safety or not.
1: Hey, that's cool. Hmm.
0: So, so what are some of those things that we can do to build that psych safety as all the cool kids are calling? Yeah, it?
2: yeah me, I think. And really, it's, <laughs> I, it's like the 17th time I've said the word psychology on the show already, and I'm sure people are tired of it, right? Um, <laughs> so if, if you look at all of the research on this, it's, it's really intriguing. Psychological safety isn't just trust, although we often talk about it like it is. It's a combination of trust and respect. And I think that's key because trust and respect are what happen on opposite sides of risk. Like when I say, hey, Ben, you, we agreed that we're not doing this anymore and here you are doing it, I'm taking a risk, right? Or when I'm, we're in the group meeting and, and I throw out a crazy idea, I'm taking a risk. Or, or when we're dissecting a project that fell apart and I admit, you know what? I made the assumption that the client wanted this and I turned out to be wrong. That's an interpersonal risk, right? And so I have to trust the team enough to take that risk for sure. How they respond, particularly you as a leader, how they respond after that risk makes a difference in whether or not I still trust them, right? So it's like this cycle, trust, risk, respect, trust, risk, respect. And so, you know, you build you build that initial small scale trust by, by kind of that empathy piece we were talking about, by helping people understand each other as humans, by spending unstructured time together to just kind of find those similarities and those reasons why you like people. And that, that builds a little bit of trust. But as a leader, it's recognizing when people have taken those interpersonal risks and responding in a way that helps them feel seen and and heard. Like my, my number one thing for leaders is just, are you actually actively listening to people or are you staring at your phone when they're sharing that idea? right are you when they shoot shoot out that crazy idea do you jump right into why it wouldn't work or do you help them explore that idea first even if you don't have to go with the idea you don't have to just green light every crazy idea your your people have but you have to help them feel heard so they come back the next time with those ideas because the next time they might win right so that's really kind of the number one thing to watch for is when people are taking those interpersonal risks how do i respond in fact when i work with leaders individually and i'm talking about how they lead the team One of the first questions I ask is when was the last time someone disagreed with you publicly? Right. And if it if it's more than like a few months, I already know what the problem is. Right. But if it is like, oh, yeah, it happened like two or three weeks ago. Great. Tell me more about that. Right. And and let me see how you responded and how that response happens, because that's what keeps the cycle going. People took an interpersonal risk. If they feel like it was met with respect, they still trust you if they don't they don't trust you anymore that trust level degraded it's a virtuous or a vicious cycle depending on how you as the leader respond
0: that's that's really good that's a good challenge i think to all the listeners um all the leaders who are listening uh you know that requires a lot of self awareness and you know emotional intelligence you know and so obviously you kind of need to work on yourself in those areas if uh that's a struggle for you
2: so, yeah yeah, and and I'll give you my favorite. It's, it's kind of in the book, but I stole it from Julian Treasure, who's a brilliant communication specialist. He uses this little acronym RASA: R A S A. Receive, appreciate, summarize, ask. It's sort of a checklist for how you should respond when your people are taking those risks, speaking up, or coming to you with their idea. Are you receiving it, or are you just thinking about what you're gonna say? Right? Could you summarize everything you just heard them say before you say before you add anything onto it, and then? So, oh, sorry, receive, appreciate is actually number two, because that's how acronyms work. You go in the order they're spelled. Uh, appreciate. <laughs> are you appreciating it? like what are the what are the ums and ah's, the nods, the nonverbals you're giving to show that you're in it? Could then ask, could you summarize what you say before you say anything? And then before you offer your advice or your take on the situation, can you ask clarifying questions? right? And if you can't think of a clarifying question, no problem. I got you covered. Just say, and what else? right? Or tell me more, just some other like, okay, yeah, let's keep keep going with that. Let's keep exploring that further. And I think that last one is, is if you're in a leadership role, probably most important, certainly like make eye contact, show the positive nonverbals, what have you. But so often people come to us with problems, right? And, and what they're doing is they're not coming to you with the actual problem. They're not coming to you with the depth of how much they failed or the full, the fullness of their idea. They're coming at you with the problem that they trust to share with you, right? There's usually a bigger, like they might be coming to you with a symptom of the problem or some other thing. They might be coming with a smaller scale idea. They're feeling you out for how you respond. And if you respond negatively, they're probably just gonna leave it there. If you just say, here's my problem, and you jump right to advice and solve their problem, they're gonna walk away and go, okay, well, I'll try and implement that advice. But if you say, and what else? Tell me more. Okay. Like, I mean, you're not going to be, this failure is not going to be held against you. The fact that you don't have a solution is not going to be held against you. Let's explore that more. They'll share more. And you'll see, even in that one conversation, you just did a click on that cycle of trust, risk, respect, and you'll usually get at the real problem behind the situation.
0: That's good. That's like next level, you know, 20 years ago on marriage counseling,
1: it was, repeat that's marriage 301 yeah yeah right? it's
0: like you know it was originally it was like okay listen to them right and then repeat back what they said to you yeah and then you know and and then like do i understand that you were saying xyz so you're just trying to communicate and get these things so this is like next level uh communication that you can work with your team on or with your spouse
2: yeah and if it, and by the way if, if all of this sounds cheesy with you that's fine do it cheesy for a few times and then you'll be able to make it your own Mm Um, you know, one one of the things that that since we're diving into marriage, one of the things that I've learned is super helpful, right? And I do it with people too, is when they come to you with a situation like a problem or they come to you with an idea or what have you, sometimes before you summarize, you just say, Okay, I want to make sure I give you what you need. Are you looking for advice? Are you looking for praise? Like you tell me what you need me to say so I can tailor my feedback before you tell me whatever you're gonna tell me. Are you looking for advice? are you looking for praise? Are you looking for criticism? What, what are you looking for? So I can better help you get that response, right? Mm. Yeah, that's
0: really good. That's really good. So, all right. So we have our common understanding, we have our uh, psychological safety, and then we have our pro-social purpose. Mm.
2: Yeah. So this is my favorite word, my favorite phrase, because I coined it. Uh, not not nice. really. Not really. There's a whole line of research about the last 10 to 15 years around what's referred to as pro-social motivation. In other words, one of our strongest internal drivers is the desire to promote and protect the well-being of other people. You know, maybe a decade ago, this term got popularized that people want to know why they're doing, you should talk, you should start from why we do what we do, et cetera. And I don't mean to poke a finger in whomever just came in your mind when I say that. He's not wrong. The problem is so many leaders go, "Yeah, yeah, why is important. And then they go off and draft this grandiose mission statement about how their small agency is going to change the world. That either no one believes because it's too grandiose for the size of your operation, or, uh, or they don't feel themselves in it, right? Because it's sort of anonymous, as it were. And so what pro-social uh, purpose is about is really thinking about the best way to answer the why that your people need To bond together, to be motivated to work on these projects is by showing them who, as in who is served by the work that we're doing. This is sometimes customers, larger firms. It might actually be how work flows through different project teams and what have you. But everyone wants to do work that matters, and it turns out we judge whether or not our work matters by who we see affected by it, right? And I think there's two things for a leader here that you could really be doing. Like number one, share back those stories that you hear, right? When clients. You finish an engagement and you get praise, and they usually come to you if you're a smaller business, right? Um, great. Make sure it gets shared out to the team. Remember this? Remember how this thing was so hard? Well, here's the end product of it so people can see that end product, right? And then number two, you being personal, try and send a lot more messages of gratitude, right? A lot more thank yous, not just thank yous, thanks for working so hard, et cetera, but thank you so much for this because it helped the team do that or it helped me do that. So there's a, There's a this, what are you actually thanking them for? And then there's an impact of that. Here's what the downstream effect of your hard work was. And when you do that, you're showing people in the form of that message of gratitude, not only that you appreciate them, but that their work actually did make an impact. And and there's a myriad of, it's kind of nerdy, and I've said the word psychology too many times, so we won't dive into the myriad of research I could share on on why that pro-social purpose bonds a team together and motivates them. I think it's much more important to think about, here's how to do that, which is telling those stories and sharing that gratitude much more often.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. We have in our team we have a uh, Slack channel called Kudos, and we'll just every time we see any kind of testimonial pop up or a review on any of our platforms, we'll post it in there and make sure everybody sees it. Or we'll read them out loud together on our Friday team meeting and be like, "Hey, you know, good job on this one." Yeah, that thing. I love that.
2: I love that. I, I. I work with so many leaders and what I tell them to do is create a folder in their email inbox. And when those, when they see those things, just drag it into the folder. If you have to email it to yourself or like screenshot it on your phone and email it to yourself, great. But like drag it into that folder because of what you said around the meetings, right? Like most leaders I talk to actually, when I talk to them about this, they just go, well, yeah, obvious. But then you push it a little (laughs) further and you're like, well, how often you do it? Well, I don't know what to say. Okay. Got a solution for you. Every time you see it, capture it and save it that way, Mm -hmm. you're headed into that weekly all-hands meeting and you can just go through the wins folder and pick one, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Also, there's something about being, if you have like an all-hands meeting that's either on Zoom or in person, there's something even better about saying it verbally while everybody's there of like, oh man, this client turned out great, good job on that project to whoever it was or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people perk up when they see they're being actually recognized for their hard work.
0: Yeah. Can you explain a little bit about the, uh, it's a wonderful life uh, <laughs> test?
2: Yeah. So this is my favorite test, especially if you run a larger business to to do with teams, particularly to be honest, internal teams, like, like, I, and I say the word internal, to be honest with you, I still haven't found the right word. We used to refer to these as support roles or back office roles as if they were less than mm. right. Like in, in restaurants, there's always that term front of house, back of house, but like it all matters, Right. Right. Yeah, but often, can't have one the other. right, but, but often right. we send this message that it's the people who are interacting directly with the client whose work matters more for some reason, right? Um, and that's just quite simply not true. And so what I like to do, especially in larger organizations with teams that, that don't necessarily know, okay, who is served, because it may not be the client. It may be that if I do a great job here, that allows people to do this, right? Um, and and if, we, if we run the It's a Wonderful Life, it's basically taken from the movie, right? So you remember the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, Classic Christmas movie, even though it was a box office failure. In fact, it like stayed in a vault until it was in the public domain. And then it became a classic because everybody showed it because they didn't have to pay anyone to show it on TV. So all the local stations showed it all the time. True story. Real story. T- anyway, know that. The, the movie is about a guy who essentially feels like his life has no meaning. He's about to commit suicide. An angel shows up. Uh, Clarence. I, worst name for an angel ever, to be totally honest with you, right? You have, like Gabriel and Michael and Clarence. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but he shows... Him a world. It shows George Bailey a world that as it would exist if he didn't have an impact. And it's a disaster, right? So your life matters because look what happens if we remove you. That's essentially the it's a wonderful life test for organizations. Please don't be as morbid. Don't be like if we all jumped yeah. off a bridge. That's a terrible <laughs> thought experiment to run with your team. But just hey, <laughs> if we just disappeared, right? Like let's say, let's say, uh, you know, let's look at Ben, right? Let's say the power, he's at some campsite and the power is knocked out because of a storm and he can't communicate for three or four days what changes? Now, thankfully, Mm -hmm. he's kind of made himself redundant. So, you know, there's that. But for most teams, there's, okay, well, this team would struggle to work over here. If we all just disappeared, if we got Thanos, right, and we all just floated away, here's how that would usually negatively impact other people in other parts of the organization. And the reason you run that experiment is that is how you find your answer to who, right? Because if those people would be affected, well, then then obviously the work you do on a day-to-day basis serves those people Now we know that, so now we can look for those stories, now we can look for those data points that show the positive impact that we're making. But sometimes you have to go negative, or you have to just think about your absence of impact to figure out where your impact is.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's I, I love uh, you know, how you explain that because uh, I, I love that movie. I watch it every Christmas <laughs> Eve and every year I tear up, you know, when everyone's coming in, yeah. giving him money and he's holding his daughter and you're just like, oh man,
1: he is loved.
0: Yeah, I yeah. know <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: it's great. I watch Die Hard every year, but it's basically the same <laughs> movie. <You know. laughs> yeah. I do know. <laughs> both.
1: Yeah.
0: Why not both? Exactly. But uh, yeah, I think it's so true that sometimes, especially in a larger organization, you can get so caught up in the doing and, um, thinking that maybe everybody's replaceable or maybe even thinking that, that this world doesn't do that much. But then if you really started to do the thought experiment of like, okay, if we remove them from the equation, what are the dominoes that wouldn't fall because of the, you know, because they're gone. And so I think that's very helpful and, and, you know, very, very interesting. So that's good. Well, Hey, uh, I, I feel like we could keep talking about this for another hour because there, there's just so much just meat in this book and so many things that you talk about. So if you're interested in in really going deep on this, get that new book by David, Best Team Ever. Uh, where where can people pick it up? Pretty much anywhere books are sold. Yeah, I,
2: I like I like to say it's a good bookstores all over the world. And, and the way you know it's a good bookstore is if it has it. And if it doesn't right. have it, it wasn't a good book. Obviously, no. You can you can grab it wherever you want. Most importantly, links are, are in the show notes for this, which you know Mark and, and Ben want you to head to anyway. Why? Sure. And they want you to leave a, a review. Let them know their impact, right? Like we just talked about this. So, yes. how about a review that says, "Thank you all so much for putting this out because it helped me do this." Like help them find that pro social purpose, right? And 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 I would assume that'd be a five star review, but I don't want to tell you what number to do. But then <laughs> when you go there to do all of that, there'll be links to all of that, or just type right. in David Burkis in any search engine i'm the one of two in the world and the other one's a 24 year old hungarian filmmaker so you'll know which one's me
0: it's pretty easy (laughs) all right so ben typically you take great notes and what are your top takeaways from today's conversation
1: well there's three different ways that you can create the best team ever first is common understanding um And one thing you said, the biggest takeaway for me was just creating that team charter. Sounds like you can do it in an hour meeting or so. Ask the questions that are in the book. That'll help you create expectations around response times, what tools you're using, how you work together, all that kind of stuff. And then number two is psychological safety. A couple of cool things there is asking yourself, when's the last time that someone disagreed with you publicly? That might help tell you whether you're creating an environment of psychological safety. And then thirdly was the pro-social purpose. One thing you said, David, I really liked was we judge whether our work matters based on who we see affected by it. So start sharing uh, stories of clients or customers that are seeing success and also just send a lot more messages of gratitude that show the impact of what they did.
0: Mic drop, fire alert. All right, David, if if our audience maybe had one thing that they needed to uh, take away, like one action item starting next week, Monday morning, what is the one thing that you would say they should do in order to build a better team? Yeah, I mean, how about
2: how about a mindset shift, right? Like I can summarize the whole book in this, that people want to do work that matters and work for leaders that tell them they matter. And so that would be the thing. Anything you choose to do that conveys that, that the work we're doing matters and that you matter, that is going to have a dramatic effect on the performance of your team over the long term. Love it.
0: Well, hey, thanks so much for coming back on. And I hope uh, you'll join us again uh, next time you write your next best-selling book. Yeah, if you've enjoyed this episode, head over to thefridayhabit.com. And there you can get show notes for this episode. And if you scroll down to the bottom, you can actually find a form you can fill out and uh, download our system for The Friday Habit. Please subscribe. Leave us a five-star review as David recommended. And uh, leave us a voice memo if you have any questions that we can answer for you. And uh, that's, that's pretty much it. Right, Ben?
1: That's right.
0: Thanks for listening, guys. That's right. Remember, live every day like it's Friday.